they do not give up. I wish I really wouldn't have given up in 2009 when I was putting out Bandit Signs and just persevered through that. And I could be much further along than I am today. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Jason McDougal. How you doing, Jason? I'm doing great, sir. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. Jason is a full-time real estate investor. He quit his job January 2016 to go full-time in real estate and focus on wholesaling. Since he's been full-time, he's done approximately 30 to 40 deals a year. And along with wholesaling, he flips homes as well as acquires single-family homes for rentals based in Dallas, Texas, specifically Colleyville. With that being said, Jason, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus. Yes, sir. Absolutely. So my name is Jason McDougall and my company is Next Era Homebuyers. As you mentioned, I quit my job in 2016 to go full-time at this. But if I back up, I actually started doing this or I tried to do this in 2009. I was putting out bandit signs with my wife to try to get wholesale deals and we got caught by the police putting them out. So uh, we got fined and I was like, I am not touching real estate ever again. So that kind of put a damper on things, but some things at my job, I just wasn't happy with. I wasn't fulfilled. And I realized that I would never create the life I wanted for my family unless I made a drastic change. So my wife was three months pregnant in January of 2016. And I told her, uh, honey, I'm quitting my job. I've only done two wholesale deals, but I think I can do this. And it afforded me. And that's kind of how we got started. Wow. How much was the fine? It was $600 for her because she was the driver and 600 bucks for me because I was the guy hammering on the ground. Is that in Colleyville? It was in Hearst, Texas. So In Hearst. Okay. Got it. H-E-B. Okay. What type of emotional reaction did you have to that? And describe the scene, will you? It was one in the morning on a Friday. So I guess it was Saturday morning. And we were driving around putting these signs up. And we had done it before, but we'd never gotten any deals off of them. And the cop just pulled up behind us and I tried to make an escape in the back seat and that didn't work. He pulled us over and decided us for putting the signs out, opened up his back seat and we saw like 40 other bandit signs. <laughs> so I was like, man, I got caught by the wrong police officer. And it just kind of crushed me and, and maybe just want to stop doing anything related to wholesaling or real estate because I just, I don't know, I didn't have the perseverance to just push through it. Mm-hmm. Now, if we'll fast forward to January 2016, you have a wife who is pregnant and you mentioned to her your idea about leaving your, I assume, a stable full-time job to do something that is perceived to be unstable, at least initially. Tell us about your thought process there. Well, 
I climbed the corporate ladder and I thought that was where I wanted to be and what was going to be the most sense for my family. But after getting there, I really didn't enjoy it and I wasn't passionate about it. And I, I just dreaded going to work every day. What were you doing? I was doing forklift equipment rental management. So I ran a rental department and we had forklifts going in and out all the time. And it was just, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't love it. And I loved real estate and I was always passionate about it. So that drove me to give another shot with wholesaling to get out of that world. And it worked. She had a lot of confidence and I guess my ability, maybe more confidence than I had in myself and supported me to go forward with that and do it full time. And it was rough at first. Getting the deals was not easy. I didn't really know what I was doing, but we worked through it. Did you go back to bandit signs? Yeah, we did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Okay, in January 2016, I'm going to do this full time. And then you did what to get deals? We started marketing in July of 2015. We would just do a lot of postcards. I didn't have time to put the bandit signs out. So a year before you quit, you started marketing? Correct. Okay. And that worked. I wasn't really doing that correctly either, but for some reason I got deals and made it work. And then eventually we added the bandit signs back into it, among other things, to kind of complement the marketing. Okay. So you were starting to do work on real estate in January of 2015, and then you quit a year later. How many deals did you do between January 15 and January 16? Two. Two. Okay. So it's not like you had a, a system set up. No, you just no, got, got a couple deals. Doing. Yeah, it was, it was luck. How much did you make on those two deals minus all expenses, which includes marketing? Between the both deals minus expenses, we probably made like $7,000. Total? Yeah. Okay. Got it. So how did you find your first deal? It was direct mail. It was an absentee owner type list. And she said she needed to sell her house. And I was nervous the whole time. I had no idea what I was doing. And I ended up contracting that and selling it to somebody on a buyer's list that I had built back in 2009. I was like, well, maybe somebody on here still buys real estate. And they bought it off that. Hmm. Buyer's list back in 2009, when you were originally doing it, how did you build that buyer's list? I would just go to all these networking events and I never stopped going to the real estate networking events through that time. I would always collect business cards and every time I got a business card, I would put it on that buyer's list and try to build it up. That's it. How many people did you have on the buyer's list by 2016 whenever you were full-time? I had about 2,000 people on there by that time. Holy moly. Yeah. I went to a lot of networking events. <laughs> when you send that email, what's your open rate? 13%. It's pretty low. Okay. Well, that makes sense based on how you're putting them in there. So you got 260 people approximately who are opening it. And how many responses did you get from those 260 people who opened it about that deal? It's still kind of this way. We'll get five to 10 responses pretty quickly. And I'm like, well, maybe I priced it too low or sometimes I might get one or two if it's just a, a weird property or if I priced it too high. And I assume your list has grown from that 2,000 or is it 2,000 today? No, it's about 5,000 today. About 5,000 today. And I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. You still get approximately the same amount of responses, five to 10 responses now with the 5,000 list? I do, yeah. Huh. Why do you think that is? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> well, a lot of people have Gmail and Gmail sends a lot of our emails to the promotions tab. So mm -hmm. it really go through their inbox. So people aren't checking that and they're not seeing any emails from us at all, which it kind of sucks. Yeah, that does kind of suck. It does it for me too. I have investors who are like, I didn't see that new deal. Like, oh, you have the Gmail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. All right. 30 to 40 deals a year. 
What's the system that you've set up to be able to do that? I wish I would have set up a system more thoroughly in the beginning to be able to do that because the wholesaling thing is a job and it's really a grind for one person to do it by themselves. So I don't have all the systems in place. My wife's a big help to me to set up the marketing list and get those distributed. But by and large, I don't have any other systems other than, than Podio and Excel that I use to kind of manage the business. Okay. Who all works on the business? I would say 80% me, 20% my wife. And we are looking to hire somebody in July and get an office to kind of help with the administrative stuff. Okay. To 20% that your wife does, you just mentioned it briefly, but will you outline what she does? She does a lot with our website. She does a lot with our direct mail. She does all the designs for the postcards and door hangers and different things like that that we do, different marketing. She designs the bandit signs, kind of that marketing piece of it. She really helps a lot with. Okay. And then I can probably deduce what your responsibilities are, but what are your responsibilities? I go on all the appointments. I answer all the phone calls. I do all of the administrative tasks corresponding with buyers, title companies, researching issues on title, just different things like that. Okay. What have you evolved in your, you said you don't have a system, but what have you evolved in your process from when you started to today? When I started, I did zero follow-up. I just used paper to keep track of all the leads. And if I didn't get a deal the first or second time after talking to them, they kind of went in the trash. And I look back now and I just realized how much money I had thrown away by not having a system in place to track all those people, to touch them frequently, and to just follow up with them. So having that in place now has been huge. And is that where Podio comes into play? Yes, sir. With your 30 to 40 deals, minus marketing costs, how much do you make per deal on average? When we started out, I was happy making $5,000 on a deal. And then I talked to somebody and he said, why aren't you making 10? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> Try to make 10. I said, okay. So I tried that. I started making 10,000 and then someone else said, man, I, I really don't try to make less than 20. Why don't you try to make 20? <laughs> okay. So I started just going in thinking I was going to make 20 grand and it started working. I'm like, wow. Okay. So it's evolved from making two to $5,000 when I started to usually 15 to $20,000 is an average assignment fee now. It sounds like a bunch of malarkey when you're like, Hey, I just wanted to make this much more. So I started making much more, but it reminds me when Tony Robbins talks about how he got from where he used to be to where he is now. And there was a period of time where he got out of the $50,000 range and got into where he's making a million bucks a year. And he made it for three, four, five years. And then I think someone said exactly what you just mentioned. Other people said to you, and he's like, oh, wait, yeah, I guess I could make more because I want to give back more and feed more families as a nonprofit. And then he just magically by intention, but quite frankly, it's not magic. It's mechanics too, was able to increase the revenue. So within your five to 10 and 10 to 20, it was a thought process, but what specifically changed within the mechanics of it? I would go into a deal. I would always be afraid that if I tried to make $20,000 on an assignment fee, that my price wasn't going to work for the seller. And that was just my own limiting belief. So if I started going to that saying, all right, I want to make $20,000. So my offer needs to be where I have a $20,000 assignment fee built in. That's the only change I made other than telling myself it was possible to do that. And it worked. So like you said, there's no magic behind it. It was just really changing your thought process and changing your offer a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
how are you now getting most of your deals? They're mostly through, I still do bandit signs, Joe. Uh, bandit signs, we do door hangers, we do direct mail, we do some pay-per-click and some SEO. So a combination of all those produces our deals right now. Okay. Banner signs, pay-per-click, and SEO? Yes, sir. And direct mail? Yes, sir. Okay. How would you allocate percentages for those? The banner signs, direct mail, and pay-per-click, and then SEO. Out of those four in terms of deals? It would probably be 30% bandit signs, 30% direct mail, 30% pay-per-click, and then the rest would be SEO. Even though SEO is only 10%, I am curious. Do you have a team member that does that? I've got a VA that does that, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. As far as the bandit signs go, are you still risking personal fines by doing it, or do you have someone else? I have someone else putting them out, but I guess if they ever... Yeah, you're, you're busted. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. How many do you put out? 150 a week. What's your approach for doing that? I have two guys that put them out for me every week. I order them and they get sent to their house and they put them out and I pay them electronically. And I would say every 600 bandit signs produces a deal. You do 150 a week. So why not do 600 a week? Because I don't want to flood these areas where they get so mad at me, where they really do try to. Ah, you're walking a fine line. Okay. I'm with you. How much do you pay these individuals to put the banner signs out? $2.15 a sign. $2.15 a sign? That includes gas and whatever else? Yep, that's their fee to do it. Is that per person? No, that's for both of them to do that. That does not include the price of the sign and the stake. How much is the price of the sign and the stake? I think it's like another dollar fifty for both. For both. Okay, cool. For every $2,000 you spend, you make approximately $18,000. That's pretty good. Yeah, sometimes it's lower than that, but oftentimes it is that. Mm -hmm. With your direct mail, any tips there? Testing things really is huge. We've done letters. We've done postcards. I actually bought all the equipment to do letters in-house. Like I bought an envelope printer, an inserting machine, a stamp affixing machine, all these machines to do it in-house to save money on it. The response rate on letters is just so much better for us than postcards. And what about your other method, the pay-per-click? What's your approach there? I've only been doing that for a few months, and there's a lot of retail leads that we get with that. So it's frustrating sometimes that we get people like, I want to sell my house fast, but I want full price. I'm like, well, those two things don't really work out together. So that's a challenge, but that's just inherent with pay-per-click, I think, because some of the leads that you get are going to be like that. You're taking some of the profits, I believe, because I read this in your bio, so I assume it's true. You're taking some of these profits and you're buying single family buy and holds. Tell us about that. I've been buying those with as little money out of pocket as I can. We had one this time last year. Now we have six rentals and two notes that are producing passive income for us. That's great. So you're not just creating a job, but you're creating a long-term income stream for yourself so that you can eventually phase out or put someone else in place of where you're at. Absolutely. I'm aggressively trying to acquire passive income this year. Where are the homes? They're all in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Arlington, Fort Worth. What are the numbers on the last home? I got two under rehab right now that I just bought, and these will be my first ones that I'm trying to go section eight with. One, I'll be all into this house for $50,000, and we're converting it from a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom. It should bring in $1,200 a month with a PITI of 600 a month. And then another one in Arlington that we bought all in for 107 after rehab. It will be worth ARV of 165 
and it will rent also Section 8 for $1,800 a month. So that's kind of the path I'm going towards now is the massive amounts of cash flow that I could generate through Section 8. Mm-hmm. Are you managing that yourself? I am. Have you gone through the Section 8 process? Not yet. I've been to their briefings, but I have not had a Section 8 tenant yet. So I might be changing my story on this in a year, but we'll see. <laughs> Those weren't leading questions. I was just curious. I have a Section 8. I have three homes and one of them is a Section 8. So you know, I don't self-manage. That's all. I was just curious. The rehab properties, all in 50 and all in 107, how did you find those two? It was a pay-per-click lead, actually. Someone was appointed as a guardian over someone else's estate because he was legally incapacitated, and I purchased that property from him. And the other one, it was a door hanger lead, actually, that someone just was want, want to move out of state and sell his house, and I negotiated a pretty good price on that house. Oh, I didn't hear door hangers as part of your marketing arsenal. How many door hangers do you send out? 10000 a month. Is there a reason why that wasn't included? Is that not that big of a lead generation? We've just kind of started doing it. So to be determined on the effectiveness of it versus how much we're spending to do it. Okay. When did you start doing it? How long ago? In February. Okay. Two, three months ago. And it's already resulted in one deal or more? We've gotten two deals off of them so far. And how much does it cost to do 10000 a month? With materials and everything, it's probably $2,000. Okay. The $50,000 house that you purchased where you're all in for fifty, what did you purchase it for? 43000 and it needed rehab of $7,000. Mm-hmm. Is that all cash transaction? No. I've got some banking relationships and some private lending relationships where I was able to purchase that with no money out of my pocket for the rehab and purchase. Please continue. <laughs> I bought all of my properties that way with no money out of my pocket. And just through relationships I've built with banks and through private lenders, I've been able to do that. I heard you the first time, but can you be specific? <laughs> I've, I've just focused on talking to several banks and just kind of seeing what they'll all do. And all these community banks will do something a little bit differently. It just depends on what their appetite for risk is. Some will say, yeah, we'll fund 100% of the purchase and rehab for your rental. And then after your rehab's done, we'll roll it into a 20-year amortization with a three-year adjust. Another bank would say something like, we'll give you 10% down to purchase the rental and we'll we'll cover 100% of the rehab. And then I've had private lenders that were like, hey, we'll purchase the house for you. You rehab it. It's your house and just pay us 6% interest a year, no points. So there's been all kinds of different strategies there that I've used to acquire these properties that have been really beneficial. And you have six of them. Cool. This is great. I'm glad we got to this point, because this is really interesting. You said you work with different banks and private lenders. Are there any repeat banks or private lenders from those six homes? Yeah. These last two houses, the one for 50 and the one for 107 were from one bank. What bank? It's a small community bank in Fort Worth. Which one? I'm from Fort Worth. I might use them. Have you heard of First Bank? I think so. They were just comfortable with my credit, my experience and stuff where they offered me that deal. And I said, well, how many rentals would you let me (laughs) They're like, well, we'll do five. I'm like, okay. So I got two and my plan is to get five maxed out with them and then refinance those into a portfolio loan and do it again with them. Beautiful. So just so I'm understanding, it's they're doing 100% of the purchase and rehab. Yes, sir. Wow. Nice searching. How many banks did you have to go to and have conversations with prior to finding them? 
I've probably talked to six or seven different banks and then kind of found out what all they wanted to do after just sitting down with them explaining what I wanted to do. And some of them, like I've got two notes and a couple of those banks let me wrap their loans to end buyers so I can order finance those, which has been great too. When you walk into the bank, what do you do? You just tell them, hey, I don't want any money out of my pocket, but I want to buy this property. You want to do a deal? Kind of. I mean, not really like that, but I tell them exactly what I'm doing. And they're like, well, you're, you're getting a pretty good discount on these properties when you buy them. Well, we're comfortable doing that. If we ever have to take it back, there's lots of equity there. And then my experience and my credit kind of help, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. So you got good credit. You have experience. They know you're a full-time investor. And then from a property standpoint, what documentation do they require from a high level? I know a lot, but from a high level, what are the main things they require? As far as financials, they wanted to see a P&L for my company for the past two years. I don't have two years of self-employment taxes filed yet, so they were able to look past that just based on my P&Ls and in credit and a personal financial statement. And what about the house itself? Because you mentioned they said about they have enough equity in it should something go wrong. So what do they need to see from the house? They did an appraisal on the house to make sure that based on my scope of work from the rehab, if the house would appraise for their value and they were comfortable with that. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say do not give up. I wish I really wouldn't have given up in 2009 when I was putting out bandit size and just persevered through that. And I could be much further along than I am today. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Imagine investing in value-add multifamily for the next three to five years and achieving financial independence with that income. James Kondasami from episode 1,273 is offering free one-on-one consultations. Go to his website at achieveinvestmentgroup.com and click invest with us to schedule your free one-on-one consultation. Best ever book you've read. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the cliche answer. (laughs) Hey, if that's your answer, that's your answer. That's all right. What is the best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about? And can't be your first, can't be your last. Okay. It can't be my last? Nope. Can't be your last. (laughs) I did a wholesale deal where somebody wanted, he just called me up and said, I just don't want this house anymore. You can have it. And I looked it up and I was like, man, I think I can make some money here. And I ended up making $35,000 by wholesaling that. And what did they say originally? He just said, I don't want this house anymore. I don't want to deal with this property. What was the problem that he had with the property? The house was vacant and he had moved out to South Texas and he had some property taxes that were delinquent on it. And the house was in really bad shape. So then what did you do? I contracted it and wholesaled it. I'll back up. He was getting summoned to go to court in Fort Worth and he was elderly and six hours away. He's like, there's no way I can go to court regarding this house. So I ended up calling the court and pretending to be his grandson to try to postpone the court date until I can get it sold and transfer the ownership to the new buyer. And that worked out. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Trusting contractors too much and allowing them too much leeway, which has hurt me on a couple flips early on. There's just a tiny bit of irony. The previous answer was you pretend to be someone else's grandkid. And then the next answer was trusting contractors too much, right? You see the irony there? Yeah, I get it. I'm a very trusting guy. <laughs> uh, too much so early on where I trusted these contractors to do a good job for me and paid them too much and they just burned me. Best ever way you like to give back? I have a Facebook group called Passive Income Through Real Estate where there's some 
really good conversations going on about how to generate passive income since that's really my main strategy right now. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can email me, jason at nextera.homebuyers.com or get in my Facebook group and chat with us there. Outstanding. Well, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jason, and talking about your adventures from getting fined 600 bucks, actually 1200 as a family, <laughs> with the bandit signs to now doing 30 to 40 deals, how you're getting financing for the buy and holds that you purchase after you have a successful wholesale or wholesale deals that you then reinvest into. Really interesting stuff. So thank you for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Imagine investing in value-add multifamily for the next three to five years and achieving financial independence with that income. James Kondasami from episode 1,273 is offering free one-on-one consultations. Go to his website at achieveinvestmentgroup.com and click invest with us to schedule your free one-on-one consultation.